0: and I'll be your host for the next hour each week at Mass we say those words I believe but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week we explore those implications together right here on outside the walls well we have begun our Linton observance this time of the year where we spend time looking at ourselves and of course I have this this little formula that I Advent is this time where we look around the world and we recognize that all is not right with the world. There are things that are going on that are unjust. There are um, structures in place that are oppressive. And we look at the world and we cry out for redemption. We cry for the incarnation of, of God to come and be among us and to redeem us and to make his rule and reign evident right here in our midst because all is not right with the world. And then we come to Lent. In Lent, we take that similar tack, except we're not looking at the world around us and the structures at play there. We're looking internally to our own lives, and we can say, all is not right with me. I suffer the effects of the fall. I still suffer from concupiscence, this desire to do those things that I know are sin. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 7, where he says, "Uh, the things that I know are wrong, the things that I, I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And the things that I desperately want to do, those things I'm not so good at. And he finishes that little chapter saying, Who shall save me from this body of death? Because he feels trapped, recognizing that while the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so too, for us, that's what we get to, uh, to practice here in this Lenten fast, this Lenten observance, is the opportunity for us to practice a little bit of the virtue of, of fortitude of perseverance, to, uh, to put some, uh, some self-mastery in place and to say to ourselves, with God's help, with the grace that I've been given through the sacraments, I'm going to overcome this, whatever that thing is for you. Uh, that's part of the reason that we have our Lenten fast is to recognize that we don't need to be a slave to our appetites we have the opportunity to say, uh, I'm going to put God first. And if that means I'm a little bit hungry or a little bit craving this thing that I really want, I, that that's just going to remind me all the more that I need to put God first. Every time I feel a little bit uncomfortable or feel the, the, the twinge of that desire for whatever it is that I have given up in fasting, that hunger itself is going to be a reminder rather than you know, just give in and satisfy that desire and be a slave to that desire. I'm going to take that desire and use it as the vehicle for my love for God to help that increase, to say, Oh, I'm wanting this thing. And I'm using that as my, you know, my alarm clock to say, I need to be in prayer. I need to be connecting to God because the fast is not just about giving something up. Uh, unless you think about giving it up to God. We're giving it as a gift, not as something we're throwing away from ourselves, but as something that we are wrapping up and giving to God as a present. I'm giving this self-denial to you. Uh, Earlier in the week, we had the reading uh, from where Jesus talks to his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we're not in a culture that really likes the idea of self-denial all that much. And so this is our opportunity to practice that self-denial really on a baby step kind of level. Because if you and I are really honest, the things that we're giving up are not that difficult. This year I'm taking the go gray for Lent challenge again We talked last year with Dr. Maria Morrow about this idea of taking your cell phone or whatever uh, electronic device, maybe if you've got an iPad, you want to do it to that as well, going into the settings and setting it to where everything that shows up is is colorless and void and empty. And uh, a couple of things it does for me, because, you know, the phone is a useful thing. It's a useful tool. I'm able to check my email. I'm able to interact with people online, both in a work capacity and a personal capacity. And it allows me to recognize the phone for what it is. It's just not as enticing. All of those triggers that are set up to, um, uh, to keep you sucked in, they're a little bit less effective. Well, they're a lot less effective when they have no color. You know, all those notifications that just scream at you with a little red dot and the number inside of it saying, open me or you'll die. Right now, now those are gray and drab and it's like, oh, there might be a notification, Eh, whatever. And, you know, I saw my phone usage go way down last time I did this and I'm, I'm doing it again. Uh, I don't think I'm back up to the level I was pre my first go gray for Lent challenge, but there is this draw to being connected and being connected in ways that really disconnect us from those who are right in front of us. So for me, that's my, my big Lenten thing, uh, because the phone, and I don't know if this is the case for you as well, the phone takes up way too much time uh, and time that is really better spent elsewhere. And so as I'm doing that, uh, every time I pull the phone out and I see that it's gray, I take that to prayer. Uh, And I'm also taking the time to sit down and say, okay, instead of opening the phone and scrolling through Facebook for 15 or 20 minutes, instead, I'm going to pick up a book. Uh, And I've got a couple of books that I've laid out but I'm going to start with one by Father Jacques-Philippe called Searching for and Maintaining Peace. Now, it's important to remember in all of this that Lent is not merely a self-improvement time. This is not another opportunity for New Year's resolutions. Rather, this is the time to exercise some self-denial for the purpose of growing in love and and holiness uh, as we approach the Easter season, as we approach the, the fulfillment of our redemption uh, which occurred on Good Friday. So what about you? What are you doing this Lent? What are the, what are the practices and the uh, the disciplines that you're doing in your life, in your spiritual life, to help you grow in holiness and to help you grow in relationship with God? I want to know about it. Why don't you come over and have this conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls and give it the hashtag My Lenten Devotion. When we come back today, we're going to be talking with Dr. John Bergsma, professor of theology at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. We're going to be talking about his new book, A Catholic Introduction to the Bible. This is uh, volume one on the Old Testament. It's going to be a fantastic conversation as we explore how to read the Old Testament along with the church and with the eyes of the church. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we are entering into, or already started in the season of Lent. Uh, tomorrow we have the first Sunday of Lent. And so as we are um, exploring our Lenten observance, I wanted to explore it back to the Bible. I wanted to look a little bit at uh, how to appropriate the, the whole of Scripture And we're talking today with Dr. John Bergsma, who's a professor of theology at Franciscan University in Steubenville. He's authored seven books on Scripture and the Catholic faith, including uh, uh, the Bible Basics for Catholics. Uh, It's uh, produced by Ave Maria Press, but you might have seen it on your uh, Lighthouse Catholic Media kiosk out in front of your parish. Uh, Pick that book up. Today we're talking about a Catholic introduction to the Bible. Uh, This is just the Old Testament. The New Testament is forthcoming. Uh, and it is larger than the Bible, <laughs> you know. I read through, <laughs> I read through the section on Tobit, and I think I could possibly have read Tobit faster than I could have gotten through this uh, beautiful articulation of Tobit. And it's you know not quite a commentary as much as it is uh, a um, an encyclopedia of resources about. Tobit. So the, we go through the historical textual criticism, we go through the theological uh, exploration of it, we get into some of how it connects to the New Testament. Uh, this is a, uh, an overview book to help you approach and appropriate the best of biblical scholarship that's out there, both on the academic side and on the theological side. And uh, Dr. Bergsma, first of all, thank you for writing this book, and then thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, well TL, it's you know, it's great to be on with you and um you know, you're very welcome. Um we're we're so delighted, uh, Dr. Petrie and I, uh, to get this book uh out and available. Um, you know, uh it was a six year uh project and there were um several years in there where we thought this was vaporware that was I'm never gonna see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a surreal experience uh, when I finally came home one evening, and there were 50 copies on my porch, and I pulled the first one out and, and uh, you know saw it in, in physical reality. Um, it, it really was uh, you know a blessing. But uh, we were glad to get this this book out uh, into the hands of the Catholic public. Um, because uh, there's, there's been a lot of really good scholarship that's been done on scripture in the past um, 40 to 20 years uh, that has not really made it into the mainstream of uh, the Catholic consciousness. And uh, we just felt like the time was right to, um, to make this stuff available to, uh, as you said, you know, clergy, lectors, people that are active in their faith, that are active in their parish, and uh, would like to know, what's happening in the latest scholarship and, and how it can, uh, you know, advance and enhance, uh, their understanding of scripture as Catholics. Mm -hmm.
0: And and I feel sorry for that person who had to deliver that box of 50 books, because this is not (laughs) a slight book. I mean, it comes in right at about, uh, 1060 pages and, uh, you could, you know, you could work out your, your spiritual life by reading it and work out your physical life by lifting it. Um but I wanted to talk about I, I had a meeting with my with my readers at my church, my lectors, and uh, I was encouraging them as they approach their time, their day to come up and read, that they take that advanced notice they have and do some Lexio divina with their reading uh to help them really kind of marinate in it on their way to uh, to announcing it, to proclaiming it in mass. And one of my uh lectors spoke up and said, "You know, it's it's easy enough for me to do that with New Testament readings. It's a little bit harder for me, this person, to do that with these Old Testament readings to find out really where they fit. And I think that that speaks a little bit to a loss of the church's historical way of approaching the Old Testament, which you address really well in this book. Just talk to us, how would you respond to that person? How would you say, this is how you... Uh, sit with these Old Testament readings in a way that they will benefit you spiritually?
1: Sure. Well, one of the major ways that the church has accessed the Old Testament is through uh, typology, you know, through understanding that the things that happened to the people of Israel in times past, um, were providentially guided in such a way that they foreshadowed, um, the, the coming of the new covenant, um, it's really a, a fundamental conviction that God guides human history, the way, um, the way an author writes a book or the way, uh, in our modern age, you might say, uh, a good, uh, movie maker, uh, creates a movie. Um, probably all of our listeners have seen at some time an, an M night Shyamalan film like signs or something like this. And he's a, a master, a movie maker who, uh, includes, uh, foreshadowings and anticipations early on in, in his movies that then come to fruition and all these loose ends and these odd uh, eccentricities of the characters um, eventually coalesce in the, in the last couple minutes of the movie and come together. And uh, we, we admire him as a director because, because of his ability to do this. But, uh, you know, God is the supreme director of human history. And uh, so the church had the conviction that the, the story of Israel was, um, was guided by God in such a way to anticipate the coming of Christ. And so that in figures like Moses and David and Abraham and many others, uh, we see images of our Lord. But uh, also uh, there are characters who pre-image the Blessed Mother or St. Peter, uh, the, um, the royal steward of the church. Uh, and in the sacraments, you know, for example, the man in the wilderness, uh, a, a foreshadowing of the Eucharist. And, uh so, you know, I really, really think like the, the, um, the secularization of the modern mindset, kind of this, this slide towards materialism that affects all of us, uh, has also affected the way the church reads scripture. There's been a loss of a, of a robust sense of God's providence over human history there's even been a loss of the sense that what we're reading in the old Testament is history. And there are many who just kind of dismiss it all as kind of uh, a, a complicated mythos. And, um, but you know, we need to recover that. Uh, we need to recover a sense that no, this, these are events that actually happened and that God is the Lord of history. And they do in fact, uh, foreshadow the coming of the new covenant. And so that, that was the perspective from which Dr. Petrie and I wrote, uh, uh, this book, And so, you know, for the, the lector who's thinking, you know, where on earth is this coming from? I mean, that's precisely why we wrote this text, this textbook, uh, that that somebody could get into, you know, say if the first reading is from Sirach, like what on earth is going on in Sirach? Okay, well, they can read the introductory chapters and get a sense of it. And then, um, you know, we're, we're writing out of faith. You know, it's really, you know, really Augustine, it's really faith-seeking understanding. So uh, we don't spend a lot of time uh, in these chapters uh, running down rabbit trails of, um, you know, uh, various source-critical theories and such. Uh, but we, we try to focus on what is going to be a theological benefit and spiritual benefit for the reader
0: and yet at the same time uh Dr. Bergsma, you don't uh ignore the the various criticisms the various methods of interpreting scripture the various methods of looking at the the source material uh you include those and I think you give them a very fair shake uh and and you bridge a really important gap because there's a lot of work out there on uh source criticism textual criticism uh historical critical method Uh, and then there's a lot of work out there on the theology of it and how the Bible impacts our life, but there's not really that I've found other than this book something that marries the two and gives you that broad overview, and it doesn't necessarily tell you which uh, thing to hold to or which thing to believe other than to say we're starting with faith, that faith seeks understanding. We're not approaching Scripture as if it's some... um, other ancient manuscript other ancient text that we have to dissect and be perfectly objective i mean we we recognize that this is the rule of our faith this is the revealed word of god and in that way now we want to come to know it as fully as possible and and so then you you go into it uh looking not to dissect it but to examine it you know the, when it, when you get to the end of it it's still alive right we're examining it we're not dissecting it
1: yeah the, absolutely, I I, I would uh, completely agree with that, and and I would say more—not just examining it, but we really cherish um, uh, each of these books. You know, th- this is this is a work of love. This is a work of affection, and uh, you know, I can say from my own experience, and I think that uh, Dr. Pichi would would um, absolutely chime in with me on this. But you know, when we were done with each with the treatment of each book, there was a, a sense of sorrow that we had to move on because we were already in love with Genesis, you know, Tobit, you know, Sirach. And then after working on them, we only fell greater in love. And, and it was a, a shame to have to, you know, to, to move on. And, and it kind of like, you know, you, you get the end of a great novel and you feel bad that there's no more of it to read. You know, I, I was in a funk for a couple of days after reading the Lord of the Rings, you know, and it got to the end and, oh man, it's over. And then you read all the appendices because you just want some more. and. Um, you know, so but it, we, we felt like that. So it's it's really a work of affection, of falling in love with each of these biblical books. Um, they're all, um, you know, they all contribute like the different colors in a rainbow to um, the, the, the full revelation of God's will for humanity. And each book has its own particular character, its, its own charism, if you will. And um, yeah, so we, we hope that, that some of that, um, that affection Uh, for these different Old Testament books, it gets communicated to the reader as well. Yeah.
0: In the last couple of minutes here, um, a lot of biblical scholars, they have their specific expertise and their specific love, their specific uh, chapter uh, book that they go back to over and over again. Uh, As you're doing this broad overview and, and digging into resources, very diverse, what was the book that stood out to you that maybe was a, a an outlier that you weren't expecting to really connect with? And what was it about that book that connected with you?
1: Well, you know, the, the, the prophet Ezekiel uh, is one of the more bizarre prophetic books. Um, Ezekiel is really hardcore, really politically incorrect, kind of a, a shock jock of his own generation. Um some of this stuff is, is R-rated, and uh, you know the, the rabbis, in fact, wouldn't let young rabbis or young young uh, seminary students that's you know uh, training to be rabbis even read the book of Ezekiel until they're about thirty years old uh, because of uh, the, the sometimes shocking nature of it. But um, you know, in working on this book and in, in previous scholarship. Uh, what's, what's fascinating is the number of connections that there are between the prophet Ezekiel and the Gospel of John, which is many people's favorite uh, book of uh, you know, the New Testament. And uh, just in, in chapter after chapter, uh, the Apostle John is picking up scenes and images from this crazy, zany prophet of the, uh, the 500s. Uh, during the time when Israel was, uh, you know, when, when Jerusalem was being destroyed and people were taken into exile. And um, it, it's fascinating. It was kind of like one of those uh, green eggs and ham experiences. You know, you don't think you like it and then you try it and you, you develop a taste for yeah. um, for this um, crazy prophet Ezekiel. So I, I guess that would stand out to me, too.
0: Yeah. We're talking today with Dr. John Bergsma, professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville and co-author of the brand new book, A Catholic Introduction to the Bible, The Old Testament, which he co-authored with Dr. Brant Petrie, available right now on Ignatius Press. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls, but don't go too far because there's much more right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we have the great pleasure of talking with uh, Dr. John Bergsma, professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, former Protestant pastor. He entered the church in 2001 while getting his Ph.D. in Bible from the University of Notre Dame, authored seven books about Scripture and the Catholic faith, including uh, Bible Basics for Catholics, Ave Maria Press, and the one we're talking about today, A Catholic Introduction to the Bible, Old Testament, where he co-authored that with Dr. Brant Petrie. Uh, Dr. Bergsma, thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, it's so great to be with you, TL, and talk about this uh, this book that we're so happy it's out.
0: So I'm looking at this uh, in, in your bio. It says that you became Catholic while getting your Ph.D. in Bible. So you, here you are as a pastor. You're going for further education. Everyone there is cheering you on so that you can be better credentialed to come back and lead them in faith. And then right at the end of it, you're like, oh, by the way, I'm going to become Catholic. <laughs> how did How did that go off? <laughs> Uh, how did that come uh, come over with those who uh, who knew you and loved you and were supporting you in this endeavor?
1: Oh my goodness, uh, that was a painful experience. Um, <laughs> I did, I did, uh, you know, contact all of my seminary professors when I was contemplating entering the church, and I said, "I'm thinking of doing this," and if anyone wants to talk to me, you know, here's my contact info. And I'd love to talk with you about it. And uh, two of them, uh, well, I should say three of them got a hold of me and we had some conversations and one of them went on for quite some time. uh, And we came to see each other's positions and have a amicable uh, parting of the ways um, on uh, on these theological uh, points of discussion. Uh, So that went all right. Um, but, uh, with family members and extended family, um, it was, uh, quite, quite a, uh, varied experience, uh, from indifference to, uh, hatred and contempt. <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and every, every, every emotion in between, uh, depending on who, who the person was. So there were a lot of long conversations. There was some shouting, um, and so on, but, uh, eventually things did, did calm down and, um, um, I was able to, uh, explain myself at least and, uh, gain, gain a little, uh, respect for the, the, the reasons why I was doing what I was doing. So we're, we're okay with it now. Let's yeah. put it that
0: way. <laughs> I, I, I had some of those similar ones, but you know, as a, I came from the Wesleyan Armenian tradition, which puts a, a. uh, a prime on the, the personal choice. Right. So I would have expected that coming from, from Dutch reformed, it would have been a little bit easier because, you know, it's predestined.
1: <laughs> well, nobody's predestined to be Catholic. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that, didn't, that that wasn't going to fly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, one thing that helped though, I'll say is, is that, uh, there isn't like the, the classic, um, Reformation traditions that go back to Luther and Calvin. At least Luther and Calvin had some respect for the Church Fathers, and in particular Augustine. So uh, mm-hmm. that that was some common ground. And when I could show people that there were, you know, parts of Augustine that um, really point to uh, the sacraments and um, the uh, hierarchy of the Church, et cetera, um, that that helps that uh, carried some weight uh, with with folks. And, there's other Christian traditions that don't have any uh, stake in the church fathers and really don't give uh, to uh, uh, flicks of a rat's tail about the uh, about the fathers. And so in those traditions, it's harder to, um, you know, to, to uh, establish some common ground.
0: So let's talk a little bit uh, as a as a convert, as someone coming in from the Protestant church, you and I both share that experience we come in with uh, a love, a deep love for scripture, because w- that's one of the foundations of the Protestant Reformation. It's one of the things that we hold very closely to. We say that the scripture is the sole rule of faith. And yet in that, interestingly enough, we think, you know, I can show you in the Bible where it is, that way it must be true. And yet the interpretation Uh, between the denominations of Protestantism uh, might disagree wildly on how one might interpret that sole rule of faith, and so it really doesn't end up being a sole rule at all. Uh, We see in that as Catholics the need for the magisterial uh, office of the church helping us interpret and walk in the fullness of Scripture— uh, but what I've seen, interestingly, is that a lot of Catholics might have an uneasy relationship with the Bible. Maybe it's because of uh, a reaction, a pendulum swing away from the Protestant excess of of looking to Scripture without reading it with the mind of the church. Maybe they feel uncomfortable uh, trying to interpret or even figure out how to read it with the mind of the church. But what would you say, how would you entice a Catholic into this loving relationship that we have with Scripture, uh, and give them the confidence to be able to read that with the mind of the Church so that they uh, will stand firmly on the shoulders of the Church Fathers, on the the magisterial authority of the Church, and yet still appropriate this wonderful revelation of God's presence to us.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that's a tall order. Uh, that's a, and we've got, like, we've got like
0: 10 minutes, so yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah right. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll throw in an explanation of the problem of evil while we're at it. Awesome, if you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but sure. What I would say is, you know, if you're already if 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 a, a Catholic is already going to mass, which I hope that they're doing, and and receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, that what I'd say about this is, you know, um, God calls us to love Him with our all our faculties, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, uh, you know, one of the ways of loving him with our mind is is trying to understand what's happening at Mass. And there's a reason why we start off Mass reading from the Bible. And it's it's not just a throwaway act or, you know, something that we ritually have to do. Um, There's, you know, God is trying to communicate to us intellectually before he comes and, and you know resides in our hearts through the sacrament and uh and we can get so much more benefit out of the whole package out of the whole enchilada if we engage the the mind and and the intellect and and seek to understand this these words that are coming to us you know in the first half of mass and so um you know to to get more out of receiving Jesus in the sacrament i would you know encourage catholics to to make some effort to get into Scripture and try to understand what, uh, what it is that, that Scripture is saying. And as you know, TL, um, uh, written a number of books on, on the, uh, the Church of Scripture, on the Catholic faith in Scripture. Uh, the one we're talking about today is kind of at one far end of the spectrum, you know, 1,060 pages, you know, dealing with every uh, book of the Old Testament in depth. But on the other end of the spectrum, you're familiar with my work, Bible Basics for Catholics, which we, we uh, talked about in the last segment. And I really wrote that to, you know, to disarm Catholics about this fear of Scripture. If you pick up the Bible and it seems so intimidating and so long and, and so foreign oftentimes, having been written sometimes, you know, thousands of years ago in a very different culture. So how do we get into that? And, um, you know, that's why I wrote Basics with, you know, using six figures and, um, you know, easy sketches basically, uh, in part to put people at ease and say, Hey, you know, we're going to have fun with this. You know, this really can be a, a book of joy, a book of, of life. If if we, you know, approach it with, with a, a sense of uh, sanctified good humor and, um, uh, and, and a little bit of faith and, um, <clears throat> you know, that. Again, that's why I wrote that book. And once you have an overview of how the Bible is communicating as a whole, then um, then these little selections that we get in, in mass uh, make a whole lot more sense. Um, when you can get a kind of a, a mind's eye uh, bird's-eye view of Genesis through Revelation, which is what I do in Bible Basics. And you have like a, a kind of a, a mental picture of, of how the plot line of the Bible goes. And, and then you go to mass and you, you hear something about David or hear something about Abraham or whatever, then you've got a hook to hang that on and you've got a, a framework that you kind of can imagine in your head of of where that is in the storyline. And uh, and things start to fall into place and make a, a lot more sense. So, um, you know, that's a big question that you asked, but it's, it's a question that uh, was behind the the writing of um of several of the books that that I've written on on this subject to try to uh, help um, Catholics make an easier transition into getting to know the Bible.
0: I think there's this um this fear that uh, we're gonna get lost in the weeds as we read scripture. I've got to have some some sense of uh complete understanding that you know maybe maybe an appropriation of the the Protestant view of Scripture, of the perspicuity of Scripture, that Scripture is perfectly reasonable and understandable, and a person might pick up the Scripture and say, well, that may be true, but I am having a hard time, so the failure must be on me, because I'm not understanding this. Uh, you know, I, I, there's this um, a professor of, of Scripture who's a Protestant, and he, he I heard it from him. He's probably not the first one to say it, but he says that that Scripture is written for us, but not to us. And so that understanding that scripture was written to a specific time and a specific place to specific cultures, and that while all of those things and understanding those things might give us further insight, there is something to be said for looking at the broader strokes of scripture and not getting lost in the the peculiarity or the particularity of the, the individual instances that God is revealing himself to us, uh, writ large over, over history and not trying to give us, uh, a science textbook, not trying to give us another book of laws that we have to follow, but rather sharing his love with us through the scripture.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting TL, you know that, uh, scripture is remarkable in the way that it, uh, it interrelates with itself um, you know, when you're, you're reading in any part and almost invariably you find both references to what's come before and also anticipations of what's going to come after. You know, in the last segment, for example, we were talking about the prophet Ezekiel. And in almost every chapter of Ezekiel, there are both references frequently to creation, um, Adamic and Edenic e, uh, imagery. Uh, references to the cherubim, for example, that, uh, that, um, defended the divine presence in the Garden of Eden. And again, in almost every chapter of Ezekiel, there's, there's an anticipation of what's going to come in Christ. And so, ironically, um, you don't understand Ezekiel the best if all you ever do is read Ezekiel. Um, you really understand Ezekiel better if you've read the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, no, I'm speaking of Re- the book of Revelation. You know, Re- you know the Apostle John in the, in the book of Revelation goes to town using uh, imagery from Ezekiel. Again, you know, so uh, th- there's, there's a being, being very general, being very broad in our approach to Scripture and reading it widely and reading it from back to front, front to back, to be being familiar with the whole, the whole scope of the message actually helps us understand better the significance of the particular uh, points, and um, that's why you know, I, I, in, in all the stuff I do, I try to start with a, a, a broad overview and then kind of drill down into the particulars. Yeah,
0: we're talking today with Dr. John Bergsma, professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. His new book. Catholic introduction to the Bible. Old Testament is available on Ignatius Press. We'll put a link on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to outside the walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Had a great conversation today with Dr. John Bergsma, professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Talked about his new book, A Catholic Introduction to the Bible, the Old Testament. This lovely book, it's, uh, what, 10,060 pages and some change. Uh, really is not quite as daunting as you might think, because it's um, it's laid out very simply. So uh, in my preparation of the show, I did not read the whole book, but I did read uh, the introduction, which gives you a really solid overview of what the different kinds of biblical scholarship are and how they approach scripture differently and how to use those in an integrated fashion. And then uh, each book is set apart by itself. And they go through the whole thing. Again, they talk about all the scholarship from each of the different uh, sections, each of the different uh, disciplines uh, for each book. And so it's, it's a fantastic resource. It's not necessarily one that you need to read cover to cover, but say you're going to be reading the book of Tobit. Well, pull it out, pull out this book and read through their section and their introduction to Tobit as an aid to help you understand ...as you dig into that scripture for yourself. Again, that is book is the um, uh, Catholic Introduction to the Bible, the Old Testament, available on Ignatius Press right now. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. All of our shows are archived. Just go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's more to my conversation with Dr. Bergsma. He joined us for an extra 10-12 um, minutes, and we dug in a little bit deeper into the topic and that extra segment is available online to all of those who support the show through patreon just go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the support the show link and look at all the extra goodies that are there for those who support the show for as little as five dollars a month go take a look and see if you might want to join their numbers let's turn our attention now to our readings from scripture and from church history I want to do something a little bit different with our scripture readings today. I want to do a compare and contrast. And this happened, uh, I'm going to look at a reading from Monday, this past Monday. Heard a great homily on it. But something more important is I want to contrast it to our reading from today. So here we have the gospel of Mark uh, from Monday. And Jesus was setting out on a journey. And a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He replied and said to him, Teacher, all of these things I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You are lacking in one thing. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And then the reading goes on as Jesus responds to his apostles looking at this whole scenario. But now I want to take you to our reading from today, and then we're going to compare and contrast them. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke And Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to them in reply, those who are healthy do not need a physician but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And that reading comes from the gospel of Luke. Now I've heard that first reading many, many times, but I've always put it in the category of these people who come up and try to trick Jesus or trap Jesus or in some way, uh, you know, catch him in his words and ha ha, Jesus is smart and he's divine and he triumphs over them. Uh, but recently, probably in the last year even, uh, I saw this scripture from a different light because of two little words. Loved him, right? Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you're lacking one thing. He wasn't kind of looking into his heart and going, aha, I know what's going to get you. You should sell all you have. No. What does he say? He's not condemning him by telling him to go and sell all he has he's inviting him because what follows that go sell all you have and give to the poor he's jesus at the beginning we hear is setting out on a journey and right there he is inviting this person into the journey because he says go sell what you have give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me he was being given the invitation to start out as a disciple, and then, if he were to follow, to become an apostle. Here is this opportunity that was also given to Matthew, and Matthew responded in a very different way. And we see this in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus comes to him and says, follow me, and what does he do? He leaves everything behind. And so now, where I want to bring this to is you and I, This Lenten season. We have the opportunity this Lenten season to be either Matthew or this rich young man where Christ comes to us and he knows the thing that holds us back. It's not necessarily about money, although it very well could be for you. It depends on your situation. The question is this, what is that one thing that is keeping you from going on the road with Jesus, from going on that journey with him and from leaving everything else behind? What is that thing that holds you, uh, holds you back from taking up your cross, denying yourself and being a disciple? What is the thing that prevents you from following Jesus wherever he leads you? And that's the thing, this Lent, that Jesus wants you to give up whatever prevents you from living fully as a disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be left by the side of the road, not just because you need to get rid of it, but because the goal is he's going to turn to you and say, now that you've done that, come follow me. And that's the call for us this Lent. That's the reason for these fasts is to turn and say, there is nothing that I want to prevent me from following after Jesus. And so all of these things that have such a strong hold on my life, I'm going to loosen that grip so that I can be free to give myself in service, to give myself in love to Jesus. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a homily by St. Gregory Nazianzen. Recognize to whom you owe the fact that you exist, that you breathe, that you understand, that you are wise, and above all, that you know God and hope for the kingdom of heaven and the vision of glory, now darkly as in a mirror, but then with greater fullness and purity. You have been made a son of God, a co-heir with Christ. Where did you get all this, and from whom? Let me turn to what is of less importance, the visible world around us. What benefactor has enabled you to look upon the beauty of the sky, the sun and its course, the circle of the moon, the countless number of stars, with the harmony and order that are theirs, like the music of a harp. Who has blessed you with the rain, with the art of husbandry, with different kinds of foods, with the arts, with houses, with laws, with states, with a life of humanity and culture, with friendship and the easy familiarity of kinship. Who has given you dominion over the animals, those that are tame and those that provide you with food? Who has made you Lord and Master of everything on earth? In short, who has endowed you with all that makes man superior to all other living creatures? Is it not God who asks you now in your turn to show yourself generous above all other creatures for the sake of all other creatures? Because we have received from him so many wonderful gifts, we will not be ashamed to refuse him this one thing only our generosity. Though he is God and Lord, he is not afraid to be known as our Father. Shall we, for our part, repudiate those who are our kith and kin? Brethren and friends, let us never allow ourselves to misuse what has been given us by God's gift. If we do, We shall hear St. Peter say, Be ashamed of yourselves for holding on to what belongs to someone else. Resolve to imitate God's justice, and no one will be poor. Let us not labor to heap up and hoard riches while others remain in need. If we do, the prophet Amos will speak out against us with sharp and threatening words. Come now, you that say, When will the new moon be over, so that we may start selling? When will the Sabbath be over so that we may start opening our treasures? Let us put into practice the supreme and primary law of God. He sends down rain on the just and sinful alike and causes the sun to rise on all without distinction to all earth's creatures. He has given the broad earth, the springs, the rivers, and the forests. He has given the air to the birds and the water to those who live in the water. He has given abundantly to all the basic needs of life, not as a private possession, not restricted by law, not divided by boundaries, but as common to all, amply and in rich measure. His gifts are not deficient in any way because he wanted to give a quality of blessing to a quality of worth and to show the abundance of his generosity. That's all the time we have for this week. Let's give generously to God and follow after him with our whole heart. Today's show is brought to you by Lillian Vogel and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.